Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. This week, I'm going to be looking at Past Lives by Celine Song. We're going to be using Past Lives to explore a concept that I haven't talked about for quite some time on this podcast, the the concept of premise. More specifically, we're going to be looking at the intersection of the concept of premise and the concept of genre. We're going to be looking for the place where premise and genre meet, how they come together. And we're going to be looking at that to help you understand a a way to develop ideas, to develop premises, to, to develop the thing that's going to differentiate your script within the genre. Um, as the podcast proceeds, there are going to be some spoilers for past lives. If you've seen the movie, you know the whole thing builds to the ending, right? It's all about the ending and you cannot understand past lives without understanding the ending. I will warn you before I spoil it, but you want to be aware I am going to eventually spoil the ending of this movie if you have not yet seen it. Let's start by just defining some terms. What is genre? And what is premise? Start with genre. If you're old enough to remember blockbuster video, then you know that genre is what you fight about with your partner when you go to Blockbuster Video, right? One of you is in the drama aisle looking for a beautiful little drama. The other is in the action aisle looking for a really exciting action movie. And you show up and you both got the boxes with the video cassettes in them. And you're going, no, no, no. I I know it's Die Hard, but it's it's really, it's a Christmas movie. It's a love story, right? And, and they're going, yeah, no, I, I, I know it's Remains of the Day, but because it's, like a long time ago when there's blockbuster video. I know it's remains of the day, but no, it, I mean, there's war. It's a, it's actually a war movie, right? You're, you're trying to convince each other that the emotional needs that you have, that you're coming to the movie for are going to be met, right? That's actually what genre is. Genre is a feeling. And even back in the blockbuster days, genre was very hard to categorize, right? Um, in fact, you probably remember you're you're looking around. It's 1980. You're looking around desperately for First Blood, and you can't find it. You're like all through the action section, you just cannot find it. And you finally go up to the the desk, and the the dude's like, "Oh yeah, First Blood. You know that that's in drama, right?" So you even back in the day when genres used to be really simple. It was hard to categorize things, right? There's always crossover, right? They're not just one thing. It was hard to actually label them, right? And if you look at today, Netflix has something like 270,000 tags that they use to try to define genre, right? So we think we know what genre is. We're like, oh, it's a Western. Yeah, except Star Wars is a Western, right? No, it's a sci-fi, right? No, it's a romantic comedy. No, it's a horror. No, it's a thriller. No, it's a noir, right? No, it's a gross-out comedy, right? No, it's a, a romantic comedy. No, it is an indie film. No, it's a Sundance movie. No, it's a Charlie Kaufman movie, right? We we think we know what genre is, but it actually becomes really hard to define. As soon as you put a label on it, you realize you're not completely right. And Today, we have movies that have mix of genres, like really interesting mixes of genres, right? In in ways that they didn't have it back in the blockbuster video days, right? So it's even more complicated to actually go, what genre is this film? So I want to give you uh, a way of thinking about genre 
that is going to simplify it for you and that's going to get you past the labels. Genre is a mixture of the feeling that the audience wants when they go to see your movie, right? The feeling that the audience wants and the expectations that they have of what's going to give them that feeling based on other movies that gave them that feeling, right? So I'm going to say that again because it's really important. Genre is a feeling. It's a feeling, right? Feeling is the only reason anyone ever tuned into a TV show or went to see a movie. We go to see movies because we want a specific feeling. If the movies give us stuff on top of that feeling, wonderful. If it makes us feel and it makes us think, great. If it gets our adrenaline pumping and it also says something about the world, great. But if you don't give the feeling, you're doomed, right? It feels like a bait and switch, right? If you show up for a romantic comedy and you end leaving like love isn't possible, you're going to be mad, right? Because you came to a romantic comedy because you want to feel like love is possible. If you go to an action movie and it's brilliantly written and has beautifully dimensional characters, but there's no freaking action in it and your heart isn't pumping and your adrenaline isn't, isn't going, right? You're going to be mad. If you go to a thriller and you don't feel scared, you're going to be mad, right? Because you came for the feeling and that's why you're fighting with your partner over what movie to watch now on Netflix, then on Blockbuster. You're fighting because you want slightly different feelings. And those feelings are important enough to motivate you to spend two hours of your time. If you've studied with me in TV, you know the audience not only wants the feeling, right? They want the feeling, the same feeling every episode. And they want that feeling delivered in a slightly different way. So they want it to look different, but feel the same. They want it to be the same, but different. Same feeling, different plot. And this is what we explore in Write Your TV series when we talk about engine, right? And how to build an engine that actually is going to create a series that creates the same genre feeling every episode, but feels different so that it doesn't feel like we're getting the same thing again and again. And in movies, this is also true, right? We come to movies because we want a feeling. And then connected with that feeling are a bunch of certain kinds of elements that we come to expect in these movies, right? Or in these shows. That doesn't mean you can't have other elements, but it means if you don't do these elements, something's wrong. So if you're making a slasher film and there's no blood and guts, something's probably wrong. If nobody dies, something's probably wrong in your slasher film, right? If there's not like a good evil thing going on in some way, there's probably something wrong in your slasher film. That doesn't mean you can't turn it upside down like Tucker and Dale versus evil, Right, But even in Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which is a slasher movie from the perspective of two very sweet guys who are seen as slashers by the bunch of stupid kids, right? even if you turn it upside down, you still have to have those horror elements. You still got to have the blood. You still got to have people dying. You still got to get some laughs or it's not going to work. And that's different than if you're writing a psycho psychological horror movie, right? And we want a different feeling. You leave a Friday the 13th movie with an entirely different feeling than you leave a film like Hereditary or A Quiet Place, right? These are genre feelings. 
And there are certain elements that we expect to happen. And of course, bringing this back to past lives, past lives is a romance. Um, specifically, past lives is an Evangeline story, which, which we'll get back to what that means, what, what an Evangeline story is. Um, it fits in a genre, right? You go to see past lives because you are expecting a romance. The title, Past Lives, feels like a romance. The artwork that you're going to see feels like a romance. The movie is designed to tell you you are going to feel romance feelings, right? And they might be sad romances. They might be happy romances. And beyond that, we know it's a love triangle. So there are certain things that we're telling ourselves are going to happen. And we enter the genre, the feeling that we're looking for with a certain kinds of expectations of the things that are likely to happen. And if none of those things happen, we're going to be mad. But if those things happen in exactly the way that we're expecting, we're also going to be mad. And this connects us to the second term I want to talk about, which is the idea of premise, right? Premise is your idea within the genre that helps distinguish your film or your TV films from all the other films in the genre, right? It's the little twist that you have, the way you're looking at it is slightly different, right? So we've seen a million rom-coms, right? But when Pretty Woman comes out, oh, well, what's the premise? It's a rom-com where the female lead is a sex worker, right? And that's a twist on the genre, right? It's a premise, right? We're not completely reinventing the wheel, right? We're not making Synecdoche, New York, right? Which is a genre-busting film, right? It even busts the genre of a Charlie Kaufman movie, right? Usually Charlie Kaufman movies make you laugh and they blow your mind open. Synecdoche, New York doesn't make you laugh and it blows your mind open, right? But because we don't laugh, it's actually a much harder movie for us to palate than a movie like Adaptation or a movie like Being John Malkovich or a movie like The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, right? So we come with these genre expectations in a Charlie Kaufman movie where shit's going to happen and where it's going to make us think and it's going to make us feel and usually it's going to make us feel on some level like love is possible or impossible, right? Um, in past lives, we're expecting a love triangle we're expecting the love triangle to manifest in certain ways. We're expecting tears. We're expecting pressure. We're expecting complications, right? And if none of those complications happen, we're going to be mad because we came for those complications. But if those complications happen exactly the way we expect, we're also going to be mad. And one of the ways you can come up with premises is by watching a lot of movies in a genre and asking yourself, What's not true? Or what's not being explored? What's missing? What are the writers not looking at? Because what happens in genre is that eventually writers and producers and directors, they start to learn what works. And they start to do what works again and again and again and again and again. Right? And, and when you start to do what works again and again and again, a bizarre thing starts to happen, which is it starts to not work. 
It starts to not work because it's not surprising us anymore. It's not taking us on a journey. It's just taking us on a well-trodden path. And the first time we tried that path, it was really exciting. And even the second or third time, it's like, man, I love this path. But after you've walked a path 700 times, it starts to lose its appeal, right? You start to go, I wonder if there's a different path. And this is one of the things that past lives does really brilliantly. Now, I'm about to spoil the ending of past lives. So if you haven't watched it yet, close your ears, bookmark it, come back. Here's how past lives works. Past lives starts with two 12-year-old kids, Nora and Hazel. And these kids love each other, like 12-year-olds love each other. But kind of beyond how 12-year-olds love each other, they're, they're soulmates, right? They are meant for each other. And they go out on one 12-year-old, very innocent date. And then they are forever separated. You see, Nora's family is immigrating to Canada. And Sung is going to stay in Korea. And they're going to be separated, right? Now, I mentioned earlier that past lives is an Evangeline story. Evangeline is an old myth, and there are lots of movies built around this myth. Um, uh, but the, the the old myth is uh, it's it's about the Acadians, right? And um, Evangeline and Gabriel are two Acadian lovers, and on their wedding day, their village is attacked, and they are separated before they can consummate. And uh, this is all based on real history, right? This is actually how New Orleans was found with the Acadians being driven out of their home across the entire U.S. and eventually settling in New Orleans. And the way the myth of Evangeline works is you watch, uh, you watch Evangeline and you watch Gabriel and they are looking for each other and they keep passing each other by like ships in the night, not realizing how close they are. They're on parallel journeys, but they just keep missing each other. And eventually they realize, even though they are soulmates, that they will never find each other. And they both marry and they have families and they end up having their own lives, but they are connected together. They're connected emotionally, even though they lost each other. And at the end of the Evangeline story, the Civil War is happening and Evangeline is a nurse in the war. And she sees a soldier, she's caring, going to care for a soldier as he's dying. And it turns out that that soldier is Gabriel. And they have their one final kiss before he dies. Right, so Evangeline is this beautiful myth that's inspired lots and lots and lots of movies and stories, right? But it's it's a story about soulmates who, like in past lives, don't get to be together in this lifetime, right? It's a story that all builds to that one kiss, right, of these two people who are meant for each other but keep missing each other and end up building wonderful lives that are just a little more empty because they don't have each other in them. This is an Evangeline story right? It's already fitting a model, right? And if you know the myth of Evangeline, you know certain things are likely to happen, right? And once you realize it's an Evangeline story, you start to go, oh, okay, we're going to get that one kiss at the end. Now, here's the first thing that's really interesting about the premise. Celine's song is not going to give you that kiss. 
she is going to drive Nora and Hayson as close as they can possibly get to that kiss. But the kiss is never going to materialize. So you can see there are a couple little twists already. Now, the, the first little twist, right? We're, we're going to do a romance. We're going to do an Evangeline story. We're going to do a love triangle, right? All those things are happening, right? The first little twist is we're going to change the, the location, right? The location is the immigrant experience. I'm not just talking the physical location, first Korea, then Canada, then America, right? I'm talking about like where the heart of the story lies. And the heart of the story lies in the immigrant experience, right? It lies in the beauty and the disruption of having left one place for another, right? And having left your ties and having left your culture and these two people growing in different ways, he growing up in Korean culture and her leaving Korean culture and growing up in American culture, right? And developing different dreams and different journeys and different visions and different, different self-views, right? So it lives in that immigrant experience. So we've seen lots of romances. We've seen lots of unrequited romances. We've seen lots of Evangeline stories. We've seen Remains of the Day. But the first piece of this premise is, what if we did an Evangeline story, but we, we place it in the immigrant experience? Right? So, so that's number one. But the second, the second little twist is what if we denied that kiss? Right? What if, what if rather than, than building towards the moment that we've all been waiting for, we all want Hesan and Nora to kiss? And we all know, even though she loves her husband, that there is a chemistry and a passion and a sexual tension between these two that we want to see come to fruition. But Nora is not going to be disloyal, right? She's not going to have the affair. Instead, she's going to deny it. She's even going to deny the need for it, right? She's going to deny her own passion for his son, right? He's so open and vulnerable about his need for her. He's come all the way to America for her, even knowing she's married. He just wants to see her and he wants to be with her. And she is married somebody else and they're having their own life and their own life is good and it's different. And we want to see her kiss Hassan, and we want to see all the drama that we're expecting to unfold by the love story. But the premise of this piece goes, no, that's not what you're getting. We're not going to look at the love story, the love triangle that shatters everything that we're used to seeing in Hollywood. Instead, we're going to do a little twist on that romance. And we're going to tell the story of what happens when you choose to say no. What happens when you choose to stay loyal? What happens when you choose something beautiful and actually let something else go? Right? And so even though we're in this romance right? We're going to a different destination. And the ending is absolutely devastating, right? Because you've seen her seem like she's okay. She's okay. It feels through the whole piece like, hey, son, is the one who's so hurt, who's so vulnerable. And then you just get this beautiful moment where she said goodbye to hey, son, and the kiss, they've gotten so close and it hasn't happened. And she goes back to her husband, having said goodbye and she just breaks into sobs. 
And it's so wonderful and surprising and devastating, right? Because you're waiting for the kiss and then you're denied the kiss. And you're thinking it's a movie about a guy who loves her. And yes, she still feels connected, but she's been telling herself this story about how that's not where why she's there. He's here for her, but she just wants the friend. She just wants to see him again. And you realize that she knows she's actually mourning that loss, right? That her life will be beautiful, but that something beautiful has also been lost, right? And so you can see that this premise is all the way through the movie. It's even in the title, Past Lives, right? It's about the immigrant experience and what your past life is that you left, right? It's about the loss of your culture. Constantly throughout the movie, she's saying, he is so Korean, right? And of course, she's also Korean, but she's Korean-American, right? It's about what happens when you choose one thing instead of another. It's not about the love triangle we're expecting. It's about the love triangle that doesn't materialize. But it's also about the tremendous pain that comes with actually letting go, right? It's about not in this lifetime, right? Maybe in another. So we have this really beautiful, beautiful elegant premise. And that premise is just a twist on the Evangeline story, right? And it's just a twist on the more familiar genre that all audiences of the love triangle. And the twist denies you the love triangle that you're expected. So why aren't you mad, right? And this is the really interesting thing about premise and genre and where they intersect. You have to do the premise and you have to do the genre, but you don't have to do it the way they're expecting. So the reason that the film works is because a love story does develop between Nora and Hassan. We start the movie and we are in a bar and a voiceover, some couple is talking about this weird trio. There's a Korean woman and there's a Korean man and they seem to have great chemistry. And then there's a white man sitting to the side and they all seem connected, but it's hard to know how. And the voiceover is trying to figure out how, and this is going to be the frame of the piece, right? How are they all connected? And we're going to catch up to this image again much later in the film. And then we're going to flash back and we're going to see Hassan and Nora and their connection. And we're going to see the moment that it's severed and we're going to see how devastating that is for Hassan because we think Hassan is the one who's suffering emotionally because Nora is so contained and seems so okay. We're going to see Nora immigrate. And we're going to see the vulnerable, broken Hesung, And the Nora who seems, even as a kid, like she's okay. And we're going to see her emigrate to Canada. And then we're going to see her years later as a young woman moving to New York, so excited to pursue her career as a playwright. And we're going to see Hesung come back into her life, right? Now, it's over the internet. It's you've got mail, Right. To romance. But they're connecting, and it's a weird connection, right? It's one of the things that makes the film challenging is that Hassan and Nora actually don't have a lot to talk about. But nevertheless, they're culturally so different, right? They're actually very distant in who they become, but they are connected by some kind of soulmate thing, right? Some kind of past lives that's not even happening now. And they reconnect on the internet and they're online building a relationship until Nora decides we can't do this anymore. 
She can't get to Korea. He can't get to New York in any kind of reasonable time. None of this makes sense. She is very practical. He is very romantic. And she breaks his heart. And in that typical Evangeline story, right? He goes on and he finds a girlfriend and she goes on and she falls in love with the man who's going to become her husband, who seems so well-suited for her, right? He is a also a writer. They meet doing a program together. It makes sense. And she is happy. His son's relationship ends and they reconnect. He comes to America and she's telling herself a story, right? And she's telling her husband a story and she's telling the audience a story, right? And we're, the story is, no, 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 we're just friends. That was years ago. We're not soulmates. No, no, no. And then he shows up and they have their day together, right? It's a date. And she realizes he's come for her. And she shares it. We're expecting the affair to happen, right? We're expecting the complication. We're expecting the fireworks. We're expecting the drama, right? How do you have three people in love, right? But instead, she goes back to her husband and says, you were right. He came for me. And she's so determined. She wants to have this friendship with him, right? And it seems like he is the vulnerable guy trying to do something more. And she just wants a friendship because she's happy in her life. And what ends up happening is the story develops, right? All, even though the kiss is denied, all of the connection builds, the pressure on the husband, right? We're waiting for the blow-up, and he's never going to blow up. This is a little twist on the premise, right? He's never going to blow up. But he is watching his wife have something with a son that they do not have together. We're watching the power of two people whose souls are intertwined. And of course, that gets caught up in a bunch of spiritual uh ideas that, that the writer weaves through the piece about what past lives mean and why people connect, right? And we're waiting. We are waiting for the fireworks. And the waiting for the fireworks gives us that genre feeling that we were coming for. It gives us that Evangeline feeling. And if most of us are not familiar with Evangeline, it gives us that romance feeling. We feel the complicated love triangle building, even though she is not having the affair. And we are telling ourselves the story. She's going to do it. 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 And we are wanting her to do it. And that is why the ending is so powerful. Because her tears are our tears. Because our desire for romantic love is also being denied. Our desire for two soulmates to come together, our desire for her to let go of the guy who is good enough and be with the guy she is meant for is denied. And it's not denied in an ugly way. Her husband is a lovely man, right? It's super complicated, right? This is not midnight in Paris, right? Where he's married to some terrible woman, right? This is a lovely man, a caring man, a person who is making room for his wife to go on this journey that is hard for him. So we have all the drama. It's just not playing out with the normal fireworks. And you can see this again goes back to the premise. This movie is not about the love triangle that blows up the relationship. This movie is about the love story that survives the pressure of the past lives, right? This movie is about the beauty and the loss when we choose what we have and let go of the thing that we've left behind. 
So I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. If you are learning a lot, come study with me. You can do it for free every Thursday night at Thursday Night Writes. Um, or if you really want to take your writing to the next level, join my master class, join my Write Your Screenplay or Write Your TV class, or even our ProTrack mentorship program, where we will pair you with a professional writer who will mentor you through your entire career and read every page you write. If you don't know where to start, you can talk to us for free, and we will help that you put together the program for you. WriteYourScreenplay.com, link in bio.